Welcome to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast, presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Join host Jenna Kelly as she explores the lasting psychological and emotional bonds between individuals. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network and join the Attachment Theory in Action podcast Facebook group. Hello to our amazing listening community of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm your new host, Jenna Kelly, and I'm not going to lie, still feels a little scary, yet such an honor. And not only are you listening to this podcast, but you now have the ability to watch this podcast if you'd like whenever possible. There may be times where we're not always able to to record the visual, but moving forward, we are going to also be airing these interviews on our YouTube channel. So it's a great way to honor different learning styles and to see the interactions in real time. And in this particular interview that I'm about to share with you, there's also visuals that are shared about the circle of security. So now I just gave it away. I am so excited that I was able to sit down with Glenn Cooper, one of the co-originators of Circle of Security Intervention and Circle of Security Parenting, as well as help develop uh, the Circle of Security Classroom approach. So I'm sitting down with him and his colleague, Deidre Quinlan, who has really been leading the way for Circle of Security Classroom and coaching. And they just released a new children's book that sounds like it's going to be really awesome as a resource for parents and educators and caregivers. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about each of them. Glenn Cooper has worked as a psychotherapist with individuals and families in both agency and private practice settings since the 1970s. He has extensive training in family systems, object relations, attachment theory, and infant mental health assessment. He also works as a treatment foster parent and longtime Head Start consultant and is now embarking on retirement, which you'll get to hear more about in this interview. And Deidre Quinlan is a licensed clinical social worker, an infant mental health specialist, and has over 20 years of experience working in many various settings, including residential and schools. And after going through circle of security training herself many years ago, has received years of clinical supervision from Glenn and the other originators of circle of security. And so what I love about this interview as my first interview is, of course, I was a little nervous, but sitting down with both of them, you know, immediately felt that safety and security that we all long for when we're in relationship. And you can also really feel that between Glenn and Deidre, who have worked together for a long time. So you really get to see that, that attachment dance and that back and forth modeled so beautifully. And there's lots of little wisdom nuggets um, embedded in this interview that you're going to hear. Some of it is very intuitive and Deidre talks about that. Like attachment is so intuitive in who we are, whether we've had formal training or not. And so you're going to pick up on things that may not necessarily be brand new, but it feels really good to, to hear it again, and especially to hear it from, from their voices and their experience. And you're also going to get to learn more about Circle of Security, whether you're familiar with it or not. It's great to hear it again and about all the cool new resources and the ways that it's continuing to evolve. So sit back and check it out. Thanks. Supporting children and families who have experienced great loss and endured extreme trauma is a daunting task. At Chaddock, we have the experience and longevity to understand the type of support needed to keep the best and brightest engaged with this work. In July, the Knowledge Center at Chaddock will launch the next session of the Developmental Trauma and Attachment Institute for helpers who seek to be rejuvenated and revitalized in their work with children and families. This type of renewal and confidence is a natural byproduct of gaining specialized knowledge, advanced skills, consultation, guidance, mentorship, and most importantly, being in a community providing the experience of being seen and understood. We have designed an experience and a soft place to land where all of these needs will be met in one central place. For more information on the Developmental Trauma and Attachment Institute, to join the waitlist for more information or to sign up, visit tkcchaddock.org. Well, hello, Deidre and Glenn. Hello. 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 I am sending each of you the warmest welcome. I hope you can feel that through the screen. I am so excited to be joining together today in what I'm sure is going to be a beautiful conversation on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. 
And um, so thank you and welcome. Most welcome. You're welcome. Um, and I'm, like I said, so excited. I'm sure that's going to come out throughout our interview because I can't really control myself. <laughs> um, but first and foremost, this is my first interview as the new host of the podcast. So that's still really surreal to me. And, you know, secondly, to be sitting here with, with both of you who, you know, the circle of security has been so impactful and transformational in my own work, both personally and professionally. So to, you know, be having this interview with both of you is, is really just beyond words. And honestly, I couldn't think of a more fitting first interview. So we're going to get into all of the fun stuff about Circle of Security. But before we do that, I would love for our listeners to hear a little bit more about each of you, you know, maybe beyond the stuff that they can can Google. Um, so I would invite each of you to share an important attachment memory that has been really, you know, influential in who you are and your work. So, Glenn, can I start with you? Absolutely. I, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, I often think, how how did I get mixed up? in this business, right? We have, uh, Bert and Kent and I have a, a mentor, a colleague, a friend in Spokane uh, by the name of Dr. Dave Erd. And he's been very influential in the circle security work. But he also said one time that, I think that everyone that becomes a therapist becomes a therapist because they failed with their first client, meaning their primary attachment figure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, for me, I don't think I came to this because I have these wonderful, warm, glowing memories of secure attachment growing up. I think I came to this trying to figure out what was missing, what I was longing for, what I needed. Um, and those answers came through a number of of places, and probably primarily when I met Christine a whole world opened up that I don't think I had ever experienced. And then we had our children and that was a whole nother world that opened up. Um, and then a few years later, uh, as we started studying attachment theory, the pieces kind of came together. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what <clears throat> came to mind when you asked. Yeah. Well, it's always a lifelong journey. And I had, I have a dear colleague who says it's all about who, who loved you or who didn't love you enough. That, that is, um, you know, that comes to our work and comes to our adult relationships too, where we do more of that, that healing. So yeah. Thank you, Glenn. What about you, Deidre? Well, it's fun to follow Glenn's introduction because I think that I have that lived experience of what he described is that I, came to learn about circle security as a professional many, many years ago. But what really got me excited about it was what it offered to me on a personal level. And um, in many ways, I had um, had a lot of childhood adversity, and it started to help me really organize my mind and really brought clarity to some of the problems that I struggled with over and over again. And then having this framework of like starting to make sense of and a way forward in a different way. I also would say that um, in classroom, one of the things that I really have enjoyed learning and thinking about the lens of attachment in early childhood and with early care professionals is that I was that child who everywhere I went, I found a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I grew up in the military and we moved and everywhere I lived, I found a teacher who um, gave me what I needed, you know, that provided me with that earned security and relationship. And um, I'm forever grateful for those teachers along the way. Beautiful. Yeah, I think I'm going to start asking this question in most, if not all of my interviews, because these memories, those teachers, those relationships we have later in life, they're all so embodied in, in who we are and what we bring to this work. And so I think just bringing them into our space with more awareness and intention um, is just a beautiful way to start the conversation. So, so thank you both. Um, So speaking of memories, I would love to get a little bit more into the origins and the birth story of circle of security, because it's so rich and so important. And I'm sure we could spend the whole 
time just talking about that, but, but if, if one of you could just give us a little, a little flavor so we can understand how that, you know, led to circle of security. Sure. I have a visual. So for folks who are able to view this, um, that I'm going to just share right now and you can see that, but this is probably what we're most well-known for in circle security international is the graphic of the circle of security. And it's a graphic that captures attachment at work. And um, this is really a life's work of Glenn and Bert and Kent that they were able to capture in one simple image. Tons of complexity um, that Mm -hmm. um, has this radical simplicity to it. There's, um, as we look at this graphic, I'll just briefly describe that there's two people always on a circle, on, on, on on the circle security. There's the caregiver and there's a child. And the caregiver, they really have two jobs. They're helping the child to explore and grow up to have um, um, the to grow up to be autonomous humans and to be um, learn. And then they the other part of it is is that they are able to provide the needed safety and security whenever necessary for them to learn. As we like to say that. Um, the brain needs to feel safe so learning can happen. And so for these caregivers competent caregivers, they're the hands on the circle. You see the job of the hands is in the bottom right corner of the circle. It says that the job of the hands is to always be bigger, stronger, wiser, kind, whenever possible, follow the child's need and whenever necessary, take charge. And the child's needs are listed on the graphic. The need on the top of the circle of the caregiver when they're out exploring is the four needs, watch over, delight, help, enjoy. The need on the bottom of the circle for safe, safe haven hands welcome in the child and protect, comfort, delight, organize. And so this um, has become, this this has circled the globe and this graphic has been translated into tens of dozens of different languages around the world and um, has really resonated with people all around the world. Do you wanna add any more about that, Glenn? Yeah, it's interesting because this is the final product. And uh, I was just thinking as you were talking about this, all the moments that happened to get that circle to be what it is. Uh, And I liked your your, uh, phrase of radical simplicity um, because it's not simplistic. I think there's a lot of complexity. And then on the other side of all that complexity, it started to take shape in, in a very intuitive way. But um, Bert and Kent and I spent years doing this. Um, I met Kent, oh, I think in 1976. I was working at the Catholic Worker in downtown L.A. We were uh, providing food and clothing and medical care for homeless people, and he joined that community. Uh, Later, I moved to Spokane and met Bert because Christine and I had become foster parents and Bert was doing some of the training for the foster parents. Another year or so later, Kent moved to Spokane and Bert and Kent and I became Bert and Kent and I. (laughs) (laughs) We connected somehow, uh, mostly through studying together. Uh, We started out studying family therapy and a lot of circle security uh, has this foundation of tracking um, family process and understanding family structures and needs within the family. And at some point, we started to realize we didn't have a theory of personality that, especially in those days, family therapists really pushing back against the more analytic folks and denying that personality existed. You were whatever you were in whatever context you were. But it was clear that we took something from context to context and trying to understand what that was led us uh, into studying object relations, uh, specifically through James Masterson's work. And so we spent a number of years tracking individual personality structures and defenses. But that didn't offer us much help in understanding how personality develops. Um, I just could never quite buy into the edible complex and the castration anxieties and the all this stuff didn't I didn't see it because I was spending a lot of time with children. And Kent got interested in early intervention. And um 
he kind of drug us in, especially me, kind of kicking and screaming because I thought, I'm never going to use that. Well, one of the places he drugged me to was uh, at four-day training with Jude Cassidy in coding the preschool system. And about 10 minutes into it, my jaw dropped, my eyes were wide, and I thought, oh my gosh, there is so much specificity here that we need so badly. Uh, and, and I think the same thing was happening. I didn't turn my head to look at Bert and Kent, but I'm pretty sure they had the same facial expression. Oh my gosh, we need this. Um, and immediately in the first day, we were saying to, to Jude, how is this being used? What's the clinical application? And as a rigorous researcher, she said, well, really more research is indicated. And I said, no, it's not. <laughs> we need this now. Mm -hmm. We spent probably two years with her, um, studying with her and uh, trying to learn attachment theory. And then we started trying to apply it to clinical work and over a process of about 10 years, um, the circle security began to emerge um, and took off from there. Yeah. Carefully, you'll see ingredients of the object relations and family systems um, in embedded in all the attachment theory as well. Yeah, the origins of this are are so rich and have so many important influences, and I love how it kind of parallels attachment too, because it sounds like there was a lot of trial and error and messiness. And I know on your, your website, you talk more about the origin and all the messy drawings that started it off. And, and then you ended up with this coherent version and, and much like in real relationships, you hope that, that, you know, they've, that each partner can figure each other out and then, and their needs out. Um, so such a beautiful story. Um, and I would love to hear more than about how this evolved into Circle of Security Classroom. Well, the, the, the same experience that many people have had who are doing Circle of Security and also working um, in early childhood is, is they're getting pulled. Well, how can we use this in the classroom? And for me, we, we were doing our first research in Circle of Security at Head Start, and a woman named Pat Shark was the director in Spokane, and she said, I love what you're doing helping parents with their relationship with children, but I need you to help teachers with their relationship with children. And, and we kept pushing her off because we didn't know the answer. Mm -hmm. Or we'd give her some clever little something, something, you know, but it was never enough. And she kept persisting. I finally said, because I had been a mental health consultant, had started for a decade by that time. I said, let me pick 10 teachers and we will meet um, once a week for the school year. And at the end of that, I'll have something to offer you. And I got to handpick this group of teachers, the, 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 the mean number of years in preschool, I think was 15, or I have to go back and look, but enormous amount of time. They were incredibly talented teachers. And every week on Friday, you know, I thought this was going to be horrible. We'd all be too tired, but it, we all confessed at some point. It was the favorite part of the week. I would present this theory and they would start talking about how to put it to use in the classroom. And by the end of the year, we had some coherent way to think about how to use this in the classroom. And I had written this out very carefully on scratch, scraps of paper and the back of envelopes. And, and it wasn't until Deidre came along and said, we need to make this more coherent and, and um, user friendly. And so you can talk from there where, where it went, Deidre. And I think my bigger issue besides, yes, making it coherent and user-friendly was making it scalable. And we couldn't just, we can't all have access to Glenn. <laughs> um, I was really lucky that I did. And so my origin story with that is that I was receiving supervision with Glenn for um, how to um, bring, as a provider for the intensive, <clears throat> excuse me, and um I was also at the same time, I was the director of a child care center. I worked in a school-based program with adolescent parents mm. where I was there as a clinician. And I had gone to get training in um, the intensive intervention with Circle to bring it to the parents. And 
Um, but I also was sitting there next to a childcare center and I was a director. And of course, Glenn got real interested in that. <laughs> and it just made sense, right? As I was understanding it more and we talked about this, that it would make sense to start thinking about this model in the class, in the classroom. And so I got continued supervision with Glenn and started to bring it into childcare settings with Glenn and um, got very interested in it. And I always remember different kinds of ways of how having worked in childcare and watched it and understood it, that this was, again, this whole shift from focusing on how do we manage problematic behavior to how do we come up with an intervention that actually moves the quality of the relationship towards more security. And um, just continuing to try to think about what that shift would be like in the classroom. And so that's where we, that's where the action's been at for us for many, many years is how to manualize that. Yes. And how to take the focus off of stopping behavior and put it on how to meet these relationship needs and magically, and it did feel like magic to me many times, children's behaviors, uh, take care of themselves. They actually, when they feel safe and secure, they're cooperative and engaged and ready to go to work. Um, and the teachers would be amazed. I would secretly be amazed. I didn't like to tell them, boy, I'm as surprised as you are that that worked, but but I was amazed. <laughs> and, um, and so again, I think Deidre did a great job of starting to put that into a form that, that it was scalable. Yeah. And, and I think not only the, the children's behavior may change because if they're feeling safe and, and secure, they're able to more directly express their, their needs, but also the, the caregiver's behavior changes because they're able to see their needs more clearly as not some sort of reflection of this child is just trying to push my button or ruin my day but that they can see their needs more clearly and, and think about where that child is on the circle. So this all just resonates so deeply because when I went through the, the training with you, Glenn and, and Kent and in Chicago many years ago, I said the same thing. I was working as a mental health consultant and I, I like, I, we have to get this to teachers because these are also, also represent these primary caregiving relationships and attachment figures that that young children and, and children throughout the lifespan have. And so, so it applies to all of us. Um, so I'm so glad that now that's been formalized and you're continuing to do some really cool stuff with classroom, Deidre, and we can talk more about that at the end too, for people who want to want to learn more. And I know you're doing some coaching with, with all of that too. So, so exciting. Um, but to go back to the circle of security itself and, and the, the visual, I, I would like to hear more, and I'm sure our listeners would too, about what, it, what about that that makes it so relatable, re like really stuck. And I heard you say that too, Deidre, like when you went through the training, it's like it just sticks. It lands in a way that, that as much as we may or may not have learned about attachment, whether that's formally or informally, there's something about this that really lands in such a powerful way. What do you think that is? I mean, it's such a good question. And um, I was really resonating with Glenn's story too, because I had done you know, training in infant mental health and I had done training in the attachment classification system at the University of Minnesota with Alan Sproff and Betty Carlson. And when I arrived there then to take the intensive training in the circle, I thought I knew a lot about attachment, but it was just like there's something uh, that I, I actually, when I train in it now, I always start by saying that we're all experts. We all have expertise in attachment. We all have intuitive knowing. And I think that's part of why when people get a hold of this, we can all resonate with it, with, again, the simplicity of it, because it, it activates in us this wisdom that we all carry in us, because attachment's intuitive, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and I also think there is some anti-attachment propaganda um, in my training. Um, you know, in with the Masterson work, the focus was on individuation and separation, and and that was not unusual in family therapy. How do you rise above your need for your family? Um, and and I think 
I have this theory. I have absolutely no evidence for it, but because much of the psychological writing and research was done by men, it it was pretty a attachment, right? It's um, how do we become this actualized self and all this. When women started getting involved, they messed everything up, right? Because you ask a man yes or no, and they'll say yes or no. You ask a woman, they'll say, hmm, well, it depends. And they bring some complexity of relationship into the conversation. Um, this is, again, I have no real evidence, but I, I think this wonderful enriching process happened um, as people started to understand the, the role of relationship and who we are and that we can't escape it. We can't rise above it. We uh, The solution that was presented in object relations was basically individuation, separation, don't need relationship. Bowlby and Ainsworth had a different solution. They said, yes, you need uh, relationship and how do you nurture secure, healthy relationships? So I think back to talking to preschool and, and child care, that most people get involved in that world because they really care about children. And to open up this idea, your job isn't to stop behaviors. Your job is to form relationships really just lights a fire for people. They get very excited. And I think that's true for, for parents in general and all of us that uh, this four million year old wisdom we have about needing others, about being part of a, a pod or a gaggle or a tribe or a whatever, uh, gets lit up in when it gets that validation from the outside and, and when it gets a language, right? We know it, we just don't know we know it until we have some language for it. As yeah. Well, so that. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things I really love about Circle of Security is that shared language and and the way it's presented is so digestible and you know user friendly and yeah anything else you wanted to add to that Deidre? I think that two things that again I think resonate with folks all around the world is this um, hard you know built deeply into this um, this framework is the belief that um, every parent, wants to fully love their child, the positive intentionality that I'm doing this out of a deep love for my child, um, and that every parent endorses this idea that they want secure relationship with their child. And um, we, and to that end, the circle doesn't come in with, I'm going to tell you how to do one, two, three, four steps to do this. What circle offers is a lens, a framework of understanding to help parents engage in their own wisdom. It's a very respectful model. And I think that's part of what makes it so relatable and user-friendly. Yeah. Right. And I think that's why it's been embraced and endorsed in so many different cultures. Um, I had this lovely gift of getting to travel around the world and, and talk to people who are interested in, in parents and children and parents themselves. And from a small village in Uganda to Scandinavia to working with Maori people in New Zealand uh, and and First Nations and Native Americans here, uh, every culture, somehow the light goes on. And because we're not saying, here's how to raise your children, we're simply saying, here's what your children need. Now you tell us how you can meet those needs. It seems to be, um, like I say, embraced and yeah, attachment is is universal. So one of the key components, and I know this was another part when I went through the training that that was so profound. So and one of the key components of Circle of Security talks about shark music. And so I would love to introduce our listeners more to to shark music and what that's all about. So Deidre, did you did you want to tell us more? I can, what I'll do is I'll play that so that um, people can hear how we um, use it in the world of circle security. What, when we say shark music, you can also have a lived experience of what we're talking about here. Um, let me just, I'm just gonna play for people who are listening, but if you're visual, you'll be seeing it on the screen too.
Did you notice? There you go. So, I think, Glenn, I think you want to start first with maybe the origin story of how you came up with shark music. But this, this was Kent's brainchild. And part of the reason that Burke and Kent and I work so well together is I think we see the world very differently. And Kent sees it much more in images and poetry. And, you know, I think Bert and I tend to be more analytical. So he was trying to express his thinking about uh, developmental arrest that we had developed certain personality traits within the 18 to 23 months uh, based on the rapprochement phase. And, and he was saying, I don't think so. I think that children grow up in these waters of their their parents' function and dysfunction, and they swim in those waters the whole time. And if those waters are calm and peaceful, you grow up very differently than if they're very frightening. And to illustrate this, he had this video of beautiful ocean uh, with, it was a kind of a relaxation tape, just lovely music in the background. And then he compared it to that very same video with the theme from Jaws playing in the background. And it is astounding, right? The, the emotional impact is going from, ah, so, oh my gosh, right? And, and so he's saying that kids are swimming with the sharks. They build these defensive programs, not in a certain phase of development. And the analytical people that he shared this with said, you know, that's very interesting, but no, it's all about developmental arrest and stages. <laughs> he was kind of devastated. He's like, um, Bert and I fell off our chair. We thought this was so amazing. And I began using it um, specifically that parents are sometimes afraid of meeting needs that are safe to meet. They hear mm -hmm. sharp music about sadness or anger or or closeness or separation whatever and so they don't meet those needs and i presented this at a workshop i did and afterwards this person came up to me and i finally talked kent and didn't know this is good you have to start using this and showed him how i was using it so he started using it well this fellow came up in the workshop said do you know who kent hoffman is i said it depends does he owe you money <laughs> <laughs> And the guy goes, no, 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 I just want you to know I saw a workshop you did and he's using your tape. So I love that. And I keep claiming, no, that was my tape, Kent, and you stole <laughs> it from me. But the truth is we stole it from Kent. And it took a number of years to kind of, because it's such a great metaphor for so many things, mm -hmm. get it down to this distinct idea that shark music is what we hear when we're afraid of something that's safe. Mm-hmm. Mm, beautiful explanation. Yeah. Deidre, did you have more you wanted to throw in the hopper here? I, just the, again, the, about the idea of being afraid of something that isn't dangerous. For me, that was kind of that pivotal moment of the shift from being there as a professional to being there as a personal, you know, personally learning, like helping me like, oh, this is what my anxiety is about. I, I can now, you know, understand um, what's happening um, that it's something that's from the past that's causing me in the present to be anxious, that it's not really happening in this moment right now. And I just can't update my information until I become aware of it. Mm -hmm. So as I became aware of it, I could shift that. And this is the thing that I see happen for folks over and over and over again. Yeah. Once you can give it a name, you can disidentify a bit. You know, it, when it's right here, it feels like it's you. When you give it a name, it feels like it's yours, but you can make some choices about it. And we talk a lot about that choice point. And yeah, and it's, it's a way of, you know, disconnecting from it and, and recognizing that we all have shark music. Mm -hmm. And those, you know, Selma Freiberg would say, you know, ghosts in the nursery and things that, that come up. And, and this just brings, like you said, the power of awareness so that we can choose to make a different choice when we, when we're able to catch it. So I love that it's, that it's catchy, which I think is part of the reason circle of security has caught on the way it has is that it gives 
the all of these kind of complex ideas and and makes them so much more relatable and and so yes um the other thing among so many things that i love is you know and and we've kind of alluded on this already is the the way you know both Deidre and i were so deeply impacted when we first went through this training and because we have to also think about our own shark music as professionals and in our personal relationships and all the things that come up. And so for me, that's the other thing that's so impactful about Circle of Security is that I've learned so much about myself and continue to through this lens. And so I was that a byproduct or was that intentional that you were going to make us all so vulnerable and think about, you know, all of our own stuff? Yeah. No, anything we can do to make people uncomfortable. We're <laughs> <laughs> but in fairness, Bert and Kent and I went through the same process. Uh, we were deeply steeped in separation and individuation and, um, and I knew there was something off about it. I, I remember hearing the term self-regulating other, meaning having somebody that helps you regulate your feelings. And I thought, what a great concept. And I was immediately told, no, that's a bad thing. You shouldn't need other people to help you. And I thought, okay, we're, we're off base here. But I couldn't put it together until we got involved in attachment theory. And as, as Bert said, it changed the way we thought about relationship, not only professionally, but our personal relationships. And it turned everything upside down and inside out. And we all went through this process of trying to make sense of, of what we, I think, for 4 million years had known, uh, but hadn't had the language for. And I remember Bert saying his our, our theory of change was, yeah, learning about this really knocked us over. Uh, I assume if we teach it to other people, they'll have a similar experience and begin to reflect and see and understand a relationship on another level. So it does have that power of, of kind of sneaking up on you and suddenly everything else changes. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and really increasing reflective functioning, which I know is a goal of those who, who go through circle of security, whether it's more on the preventative side or intervention side. Um, so, so let's get into that a little bit and, and talk about first, maybe it might be helpful to differentiate between the different circle of security offerings. Mm -hmm. yeah, one other thing I did want to just say too, about this, um, about the reflective piece for, um, facilitators or for, um, professionals is that's a large part of the feedback that we get. And many people may go on, um, and never really bring this to parents, but they find it helpful in their own personal journey. And, you know, this process of becoming better as a clinician or as a practitioner in the delivery of the service. And we've talked about that, you know, that it seems like that this is one of those skills that maybe in, as we go on to um, gain expertise and training and instruction, we don't have so much opportunities to really um, do the work Mm -hmm. And this really gives us opportunities to really work on some of those soft skills that we need to deliver, you know, the curriculum or deliver the intervention, um, the way of being with of someone mm -hmm. as we bring a lens to them. And I think that's part of what really resonates with professionals mm -hmm. when they introduce to this. But with that said, we um, some of the different kind of ways that circle security is being used and some of the different interventions now is the original, which was the circle security intensive. And um, we're working now. One of the things, again, we had to realize was that circle security is um, wanted and, does, and people are requesting it all around the world. We can't keep up with the, um, the demand to build um, a, a workforce. So we've been trying to take advantage of what we've learned from this world um, during the pandemic of how to use online learning. So we're trying to build more structure and more learning opportunities in an online learning platform rather than depending on having to go and be in person all the time. And um, so we've, we're working to build our circle security intensive program to have, there is an in-person component, but there's also then online components that are involved in it. 
the Circle Security Parenting, um, which is the one that we're probably most well known for now, which is a video, a manualized um, and videotaped series that we bring to parents and train facilitators to deliver. That's trained both online and in person. And um, Classroom Now is one that we've been building. And that is, um, Classroom right now is able to all be taught in an online and, and synchronous online and asynchronous online experience for folks, the classroom. Yes. Okay. I think that's helpful. And, and to go through the circle of security parenting, that's open to beyond, you know, just therapists, right? Yeah. Yes. That's an interesting thing that gets brought up about um, because the intensive is focused on building capacity in clinicians mm-hmm. um, and the parenting intervention, the parenting manualized series was intentionally, I mean, Glenn can speak to this too, they, but the, the decision of whether or not who should be trained in this, one of the most important capacities of someone to deliver that um, with parents is reflective functioning. Mm-hmm. And so it, the experience and the observation um, that led to the conclusion that having a clinical, clinically trained degree, right, to have, to have be a professional who's clinically trained doesn't guarantee that I'm going to have high reflective functioning. And so the decision was made that to make this accessible across professional um, deliveries, right? That, um, that people come in from all walks of life. The one thing that we all have in common is that we all work with caregivers and we mm-hmm. all have a desire to want to help struggling families. Yeah. yeah. And I love... And, and Deidre's right. We really wanted to make this available to uh, people doing parent education, to uh, peer advocates, to, you know, because when we were training clinicians in this rigorous 10-day training plus two years of supervision, we trained fives of tens of people, right? And the need is so much greater. So it really was, we were invited uh, by Bill Gates' group to come present our work. And and of course, they loved it, but they were saying, you need to make it scalable. And that got us thinking about, well, what would that mean exactly? How do we make this available to more people? And so we really did our best to open it up and to have more families served. Yeah, I really appreciate how it's really a continuum of services from the parent, the circle security parenting and classroom really infuse so much helpful prevention and then all the way through to the intensive side for more intervention strategies. So I think this would be a good time because to to hear more about the families that have consumed circle of security, whether that's through parenting or intensive, what have you, what have you learned from these families? Well, I, Bert and Kent and I pretend like we developed a circle of security, but really most of the credit goes to the Head Start families we were working with. And we had this idea, we had these graphics kind of put together because we had applied for a grant with Bob Marvin as the as the uh, principal investigator, and and it was supposed to start in October, and they didn't announce it until the end of September. So there was this scramble to put something together, and so we would present it to, to these wonderful Head Start parents, and they would go, "Oh, that's stupid! <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. What does that mean?" Oh, it was just killing us, and we'd spend all week rewriting, and we'd bring it again, and they'd go. Oh, okay, I get that, but I still don't know what this is, right? Um, and so it was through that process of them being very patient with us as we tried to take Bowlby's three volumes and condense it to a one-page handout um, that I think it really brought the clarity to it. So, um, and and again, also what was really clear was these parents' positive intentionality. I mean, they were there; they were putting up with our our own confusion and changing every week because they wanted what's right for their for their kiddos. So I think a lot of the credit to this is their willingness to just be straightforward with us about what made sense and didn't make sense. Yeah, so important that you were able to get that real life feedback and that they kept it real for you. And I also am curious about how 
it's been utilized beyond because so much of attachment research has been focused on, you know, the, the mother and child dyads. What else have you seen? What have you learned from dads and non-traditional families and the ways it's been applied? And like you said, cross-culturally, what, what have you learned from those applications? Well, again, I, I don't know, Deidre, you can jump in, but I think what I learned is, yeah, we're kind of all in the same boat uh, trying to figure out what, what kiddos need. And I work with lots of fathers. I, I keep saying in my next lifetime, I'm just going to work with young dads because that's just the best. Uh, I think partially because us guys don't get the experience of being a caregiver. We don't play with dolls. We don't babysit. We don't do all these things, or at least in the 50s, maybe it's hopefully changing now. Um, and so when young dads suddenly fall in love with their kiddos, it's a long fall and they hit so hard and they fall in love so deeply that I just love that process. You know, when they get it that, oh, you mean my job isn't to go work and earn money, I get to actually have this relationship with this child. Um, so I wouldn't say dads are any different than moms, and except that I think it's a new experience, a, a newer experience a lot of time for, for young dads than it is for young moms. So. Um, I love that process in every population that we worked in, whether it's different uh, religious orientations or or gender or racial or age. We work with grandparents and foster parents, and uh, we get the same underlying. It's the same issues. Yeah. But Peter, you jump in. That's. I couldn't agree more, right? All humans have attachment systems and we all have this same kind of intuitive knowing. Yeah. And how would you expand that to the teachers and, and caregivers that you've also used classroom with, Deidre? What have you learned? Well, I think the interesting thing that um, how we came to, how do you bring this lens to teachers? Um, because in fact, people were already doing it when they were getting, when they were learning the Circle Security Parenting Program. It just made sense to want to bring this to early care educators. Folks who have been doing the work and working in that field seem to get the connection that this would be a nice fit. The difference, though, in bringing a lens of attachment, um, and particularly in this um, in, in this um, program, is that when we bring it to parents, we just start on day one with um, confidence and this intuitive knowing of this, you know, the parents see themselves as attachment figures. They get it that I'm here. This is my kid. And so one of the primary differences then be between doing it with an educator and bringing this lens of attachment to a uh, um, parent is that a teacher might not be ready on first approach to say, what you mean? Like these kids in my classroom, you're telling me they're all falling in love with me. Are you kidding? <laughs> um, and in fact, that's what we're saying. Mm -hmm. And so that one of the things that I did early on of how do we bring this program to educators was I watched video for a few years of different people facilitating with teachers to try to see these patterns of where it was getting stuck, where we needed to add more to help it land and um, work for teachers. So um, one of the things that we knew right off the bat that we had to do was we had to find a... Um, I don't know if I'm looking for it right now. We had to find a um, handout that would resonate with teachers because what we were showing them, you know, the parent circle, they would say, well, you know, if all I had was one child um, on my circle and then my life would be terrific. But this is not the experience of any teacher to have one child on their circle. So I remember the first time when we were playing around with how do we have a graphic to capture the teacher's experience? And we were playing around with this and I was doing a workshop and with a group of folks and I shared this handout and there was an early care educator in the room. She just, her eyes got teary eyed and she said, you know, this just makes me want to cry because this is it. This is my world and no one seems to get it. And this captures what it's like in my world. So that was one of the first things we wanted to do was have visual aids that were more appropriate to the world of an early care educator. Anything else? Do you have the other graphic? Because this is basically 
a teacher that has all securely attached children in their classroom. Do you happen to have that other graphic? Handy? I don't have it handy, but I can find it if you want to share a little bit about that while I get it. Yeah, because exactly, you know, teachers would say that's great because they're used to often 18 children put me one on one with a child and and that's easy peasy. Uh, and and then I think Deidre was your idea to come up with this graphic and it really opened teachers eyes to, oh, my gosh, this is a huge job. Um, and I used to see this in the classroom. I remember talking to uh, a teacher about something as a mental, I was a mental health consultant, and and three different children came up, needed something from her. She stopped. She met whatever that need was, and and at the end, I said, "It's wonderful to watch all these circles." And she said, "What circles?" <laughs> she just like commented all the time. So this is when you start adding in children that, that struggle with coming in and children that struggle with going out and children that are just kind of stuck someplace in the middle and can't come in or out. And um, and I think this really captures at least the Head Start classrooms that I worked in, roughly 60% of the kiddos had disorganized attachments and it looked a lot more like this. Mm -hmm. Interestingly to me, as we work with teachers with this, uh, their depression levels got better, their motivation got better, their uh, enjoyment of their job got better because it kind of made sense. Yeah, that was the same thing that was happening in, when I was doing the work too. Was we saw staff turnover, you know, reduction in staff turnover, reduction in family turnover, and. Um, and reduction in incident reports and stuff, things like that. Just all these things as, you know, when children are in the presence of competent hands, it's calming for them. Yeah. And everybody around. And everybody around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. in, in a perfect world, in a few places, we've been able to have the parents go through the parent program, the teachers go through the teacher program, and they have this new language. Right. That uh, one teacher was telling me that this parent always struggled picking up their child. The child would whine and cry, and the parent was just didn't seem to be able to say, "Okay, it's time to go." And of course, this is miserable on Friday when the teachers are exhausted, and it goes on and on. After they had both been through the program, one Friday she just said to her, "Are you hearing shark music when you pick mm. up?" And it just opened up the whole conversation. Oh yeah, we had a way to talk about. It. That's, that's wonderful. And I remember when I've trained teachers in this as well, that they would often say, I, the parents need this too, because it does exactly that. Then you have this, this shared understanding. And I love the graphics that go with it for, for both the parenting and the classroom, but especially with the classroom that you know, you can see that it could it could look overwhelming with all of these children with with different needs. Some might be on the top of the circle out exploring while some are on the bottom. And, uh, you know, they bring in their own attachment styles and, and their histories. And um, and yet if they can truly be those hands and, and follow the roadmap. And it also goes back to the good enough, um, both in parenting and classroom, is we're not saying you're gonna get it perfect all the time. It does look messy a lot of the time, but if we can can give ourselves grace to, to know that it's about just doing it, you know, the attachment research says what, like 30% of the time if we can get it right, which I think it, it gives, so much space for parents and caregivers to breathe a little bit more. Um, so, well, so and, oh, I was just going to say, I might get excited for some of the the children I've worked with. They had no experience of secure relationship anywhere in their life, mother, mm -hmm. grandparents, whoever. And so they were really having their first experience of secure attachment with a teacher. And it's not like kiddos have this menu and they go, hmm, I'd like this or this or this. They, Their experience with their immediate family is their whole universe. And now this person is doing something very differently. And it complicates their world a bit. And, and ideally, it gives them a, a, a search pattern to look for. I like the way I feel when teacher does this. And, and that's the relationship I'm looking for. I have, I know it exists now. 
right? It, I know this is who I want to be someday. Um, it just really opens up a whole new direction for them. And, and to me, I, I tell teachers sometimes you're actually changing the architecture of these children's brains. Absolutely. Um, having this relationship. You know, if I could pick up on that too, I think that's one of the things when folks are talking about attachment theory and the attachment system that is um, overlooked, and that is the hierarchy of attachment. And that we know that children are capable of more than one attachment relationship. And yet when we, so often when we talk about attachment, we talk about the primary caregiver, mm-hmm. but in fact, children have the capacity for more than one attachment relationship, more than two, more than three, more than four. We don't know when it gets to be too many, at least I've not seen yet evidence of when it's too much that it becomes indiscriminate, but we know that it's an underutilized capacity in our culture, our our dominant culture, generally speaking, that children have more capacity for attachment relationships. And so when we invite teachers into this, we're inviting them in to be part of that hierarchy. We're not saying you're going to be the primary caregiver or you're going to replace the caregiver. But it's when that child, when that number one person isn't available, they need to know that there is someone that they can turn to who's available. And we want that teacher, we want the educator to become in that hierarchy, right, of being mm-hmm. of availability to the child. And as Glenn then says, it's protective then, because now I have this way of being in relationship with this person. And now this is another way to be in a relationship. And here's another And so when I go forward into future classrooms, I now can say, well, I know that this, I'm going to see what kind of a relationship this person offers. And I have different ways I can show up and be with a person in relationship now that I have these different um, lived experiences, right, that are in me. Yeah. And we heard that in your earlier memory share, Deidre, how powerful that was for you. So... So where can our listeners go, whether they're professionals or parents, to learn more? You guys shared some beautiful visuals that that I know are available on your website. So we'll make sure to link your website in the show notes. Um, but and so what else can they can they learn? Where can they go? So they can go to circlesecurityinternational.com. And if they go there and there's on the tab on top, there's a, um, it's called learn more. And if you go there, you can find a whole column that talks about the circle security in the classroom approach. They can learn more about the circle security parenting. They can learn more about the intensives. They can learn more about each of those things. I also want to give a shout out because we're excited now. If they can't go to our website, they can also learn more about a new book that's been recently released and um, it's kind of a fun origin story. Glenn, do you want to share the origin story of the book? Well, the, this actually came out of a conversation with a woman in, in Sydney, Australia, Robin Dolby. And we were talking about classroom. And, and I was talking about how when I watch children in the morning and their parents are uh, bringing them to, to childcare, they seem lost for a bit. Right. And they, they have to figure out how do I integrate myself into the classroom? Uh, and this happens every morning. It doesn't matter if you've been there for a week or or the entire year. This mm-hmm. got to do it. And it kind of reminded me of being in high school. And for some reason, you, you're late getting to the cafeteria and you're desperately looking around for somebody to sit with. Right. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you have to get in somehow. And I, I said, it reminds me of if, if the parent is in a rowboat and they're dropping the child off at the dock, the child's got to make that step where they're one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock. And, and that's a very vulnerable place. Mm-hmm. And they have to somehow make the leap. And, and Robin loved this. And she started working with this idea with teachers and helping them do some handoff in the morning, some way to say, welcome aboard or whatever. And so that that's kind of where this came from is how do we formalize this and help teachers first see that this is an issue for children? Um, and second, how do we help children make that big step? And and we came up with a script, but it was a little bit hard to get teachers to tell parents, here's what I want you to do. And so Deidre came up with this idea of a book. So you tell them about that, Deidre. Yeah. And I, that was my experience, too, is that we would call that the rowboat metaphor and we would ask, you know, teachers to do it. But it was always difficult, it seemed, you know, to ask 
teachers to ask parents to do this. So I started playing around with this idea of could we write a book that would be a book we could give to the parents that that the teachers could read to the children. And um, what we ended up then coming up with was this book that ended up being called Someone to Be With. And we're excited to tell you because now it's now available on our website. So if you go to the website, you can learn more about the book. But it's really the journey, um, and we just say that, right, of a young child to feel connected and supported in the classroom while they're away from their primary attachment person, from their caregiver. And it's really focusing that everyone has a job, the teacher, the parent, the child, they're all going to work together in a predictable way and um, create this structure at the beginning and the end of each day. And it's in this book where they find that. And so you can learn more about the book and um, get it if you're interested. Oh, I can't wait. This is amazing. Congratulations on this coming out. I can't wait to share it with our, our team of mental health consultants so that they can share it with the, the early care and educators and families they work with. This will be such a cool resource. Well, thank you. And the last thing I want to say about it is, is that you can get this book and start using it today and start introducing the circle security classroom approach to your classroom without ever having gone through any training in circle security at all. Everything you need to start doing this is in the book. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And that's the other thing I like about Circle of Security is, is that these resources on your website and learning about it, is, whether you go through any formal training or not, there's still a lot that can be applied to everyday life in parenting and in classrooms. So, um, Well, and now that you mentioned that too, Jenna, when I've been out in the world sharing this book with um, folks, I had in one audience, I had a um a child psychiatrist there. And she said, Oh, I'm going to use this in the hospital for these transitions that these kids are getting pediatric units. And, um, excuse me. And we've had folks who have been in prison settings talking about transitioning back and forth, people who are doing supervised visitations, um, foster carers, you know, there's just a lot of different ways that folks are getting creative and seeing that these transitions are happening in young child children's lives and where they might benefit in these other areas too. Yeah. And, and what I love about it is it's this introduction to seeing the world through the needs of the child. Mm-hmm. That it seems ordinary to us. I, I try to find words to not say drop off your child because it felt that way. Um, it felt like parents would drop their child off and, and walk away because they didn't have any way to think about what that child needed in that. And so I haven't come up with a clever term. I'm sure Deidre will about <laughs> it's it's hand off your child or it's, you know, something that uh, helps your child connect and relax and be in the flow of it. And watching videotape of this is just adorable. Kids love it and they love the predictability. They love the ritual. And um, and so, yeah, it's I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to people using this and then giving us some feedback about um, how they put it to work. Yeah, in the child's world, world, you know, it really gets to the heart of a problem that's been not, a child hasn't had to, you know, use behavior to try to communicate. And that's that so often we try to reassure children that when they're dropped off, it's going to be okay. They're your parents coming back. They'll be back. Yep. They left parents leave and they come back and it'll be okay. But really from the position of the child who can't suspend their need for hands for competent hands, it's really, okay, I get it. They're gone. But while they're gone, who's my person who's got, who gets me. And that's what this book really helps clarify in the mind of the child. And we can't wait. And we'll be happy to provide feedback too. And it's so lovely to see how Circle of Security continues to evolve and become more scalable and have more resources. And I know there'll be a lot more for our listeners to learn about, whether that's on the classroom or the parenting side and and Deidre also doing coaching with with, um, facilitators in, in the classroom. But our time is up. And I also want to acknowledge that, Glenn, you have had such a, a huge contribution to all of this amazing work. And you're in a, your own transition of retirement now. And so do you want to share with us as, as we get ready to close what what's next for you? Well, I I supposedly retired, um, <laughs> and Deidre keeps pulling me back in, and which I'm very grateful for because I love 
staying involved and getting to contribute. Um, and big part of my current job is being grandfather. Um, and, and that's delightful. Um, we are very close. Our kids just live less than a half mile away. Um, and so we do a lot of walking kids to school in the morning because parents have to be to work early and just being involved in their lives. Um, and I love having this lens of circle security to watch that, that process in. Um, now that it feels a little safer to get out in the community, I'm hoping to kind of go back to the hands-on working with either parents or foster parents or teachers doing some of the uh, eight-week classes. And we'll see if I can pull that off or not, but that would be very fun. Mm, you'd be so lucky to have you. Yes, because one of our um, focuses, focuses into the future of what next is we want to create a classroom video series specifically for um, using circle security in the classroom. And so we are hoping that if Glenn gets on board, we'll be able to use some video of him doing the work. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that that would be a great next step, too, because I know when I've used the video with teachers, you know, we we apply it, then how do you think about this in group care? But the, but a lot of the video footage is uh, more reflective of parenting. So this is so exciting. And it was so exciting to have this conversation with both of you today. Thank you both so much. Was there anything else I forgot to ask or that you wanted to share more about before we close out? There's yeah. always more. I know. Yeah, more hours. Because <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and I'd be here for it. So maybe we'll have you back. Um, I'm sure that we could, you know, do a to be continued and pull you out of retirement some more, Glenn. So, um, well, thank you both so much. And uh, yeah. Well, well and thank you. I appreciate that you're doing what you're doing and giving more people access to uh, attachment uh, theory and attachment hands-on work. And I just appreciate what you're doing. So thank oh, you. Thank you. Well, when we're passionate about it, it comes easy, right? And it, it fills yeah. our cup. So, um, well, I hope you guys have a good rest of your, your day and I can't wait till our paths cross again. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for future episodes. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. And join the Attachment Theory in Action podcast Facebook group. For additional resources and training opportunities, visit tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of attachment theory. Attachment Theory in Action.